Welcome to Succession Stories. I'm your host, Lori Barkman, founder of Small.Big. As an exit value planning and M&A advisor, I call myself a business transition Sherpa. My mission is guiding entrepreneurs on ways to build value in your business and then benefit by letting it go. On this show, we spotlight the theme of transitions, not only to reward you for your hard work, but also to ensure that you look back on your succession without regret. Catch all the episodes and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to visit SuccessionStories.com to sign up for our newsletter. Here's to your success. As a lifelong entrepreneur, Steve Peplin has started and operated numerous companies, all in the specialty building trades or building products industries. Over the past 35 years, his manufacturing company, Talon Products, has grown to become a $50 million business with an impressive 18% growth rate. Steve credits their success to the company truly embracing their core values and to differentiation, pursuing innovations in high growth market segments. I loved our conversation about what gets measured gets improved and was really impressed by his understanding of what drives enterprise value, a common theme on this show. We also discussed succession planning. Perhaps you'll relate to his contemplation of what's next. Steve Peplin, welcome to Succession Stories. I'm super excited to have you on today. I invited you onto the show because you are an entrepreneur and an adventurer. They kind of go hand in hand. Your bio is fascinating. Your bio includes logger, roughneck, cowboy, vertical construction worker, sailor. I know there's other things there too. You've got unicycler, hot air balloonist. (laughs) I think you see life as an adventure and I'm guessing you also see business that way. So I'm interested in speaking with you. Welcome. Thank you, Lori. This is, this is exciting. We've been called uh, by one of the local industrial organizations, uh, their poster child for business unusual. <laughs> and I think they meant it as a left-handed compliment that we were very progressive and innovative. You know? So tell us about your entrepreneurial journey. What's your origin story, as they say? You know, I've never had a job. <laughs> I mean, almost. I mean, I, I've been a rep, an independent rep, which is, you know, independent. But uh, I mean, I have technically had a job when I was in high school. When I was young, I I had jobs. But uh, ever since a grown up, I never had. I, well, I, I worked in college. I mean, I worked at a restaurant, uh, you know, while I was going to college, but not much work. College kind of got overwhelming after a while. Yeah, so I've always been an entrepreneur. I mean, as a as a young uh, young person, I shoveled driveways, mowed lawns, painted houses. You know, I mean, then uh, at the end of my second year of college, I came back and I started a company as uh, for the summer between my sophomore and junior year of college. Well, the company did real well. I never went back and finished school, (laughs) which is a common entrepreneurial trait. You know, I find a lot of my friends who run their own successful companies never, they just never finished school. They got kind of impatient, you know, I mean, I I kind of did a mental assessment. I said, wait a second, I'm going to school to learn how to make money. That was my goal was to make money. And uh, I was making a lot of money. I didn't, I didn't, I like to say I didn't start a company to get rich. I started a company to get filthy rich. <laughs> <laughs> now your father was an entrepreneur, correct? He had a manufacturing business. He wasn't an entrepreneur though. He might, my, my father worked for his father. He was an employee. 
Uh, entrepreneur, I think, means you've created something from nothing. You started a startup is kind of the definition of an entrepreneur. My dad was a successful businessman and a super nice guy and very generous and all the great guy. And I learned a lot from him. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I was not. My grandpa, on the other hand, was an entrepreneur. My grandpa Tell me about him. Grade, yeah. in eighth grade education. He started a company in the 40s and became very successful. He had patents. Uh, he, had, uh, he was a really interesting guy. He, was, he had partnered with Pat Parker from Parker Hannafin. Cleveland was a super dynamic manufacturing spot. I mean, it is now still, but it really was back at that you know, 100 years ago. It was a world center for manufacturing. So you have what I call the entrepreneurial gene that most likely yes. came from your, your grandfather. That's really yeah, cool. I, th- I think it skips a generation. Yeah, it probably does. A lot of those kind of traits. It probably does. So tell us about Talon Products. What does the company do? And you were one of the founders. Tell us the story about yeah, yeah, launching yeah. the company. I'm the founder. Well, we're long run, high volume metal stampings up to 600 tons, progressive dye specialists. We also fabricate a lot of aluminum extrusions. Mostly we stamp it. We build our own tooling. Our uh, customer mix is like a high-volume, low mix, as opposed to a low-mix, high-volume, which is kind of typically called a fabricator. We predominantly make building products. We have some specialties in solar. A lot of our solar parts go on buildings. LED lighting. A lot of the lighting goes into buildings. And electric vehicle, which is a new, a new niche we've uh, targeted recently. We've, we've had a history of targeting disruptive industries. A lot of our building products, uh, 35 years ago when we started, we went after the single-ply roofing industry, which was a new way to put roofs on buildings, sort of a polymer sheet as opposed to asphalt and paper. Like the old, the old style was more labor-intensive, the old, the old way of roofing. Single-ply roofing, when we started this company, was 8% of the industry, of the roof, commercial roofing industry. And the, and the industry back then was about $16 billion dollars. Now it's about $35 billion, and our, our, our niche, single-ply roofing, is 80%. So we grew up with the industry. You know, we, we targeted a disruptive industry, and we just you know, rode the coattails. We did the same thing with LED lighting. LED lighting uh, didn't exist. I mean, it existed in the labs, but it was not commercialized 10 years ago. So we, we, we were some of the, I don't want to say early adopters, but we were, we were early to the party, you know. Yeah, and, uh, went, it went from zero, zero to a hundred billion dollar industry in about seven or eight years. And your so, company, just for size, just to give us a sense, how many employees? Eighty employees and about fifty million dollars. Wow, which is uh, those are good numbers for a metal stamper. Typically, yeah. metal stamper has sales of about one hundred eighty-five, one hundred ninety thousand dollars per employee. We're north of seven hundred thousand. Wow. So by that measure, we're an extremely productive company. Because like I said, we do high speed, high volume. Our niches make a lot of parts. We make we have certain part numbers that we make hundreds of millions of pieces. They come off the press like, like if you ever, if you've ever seen a beer bottling line where the beer is flying by so fast you can't even see it, that's the way uh, we manufacture. So I've done some a little bit of research on your company, and you and I had talked prior to this episode. So I know that there's some core values that the company has. There's a, a lot of years of growth, and I know it hasn't been an easy journey just like many entrepreneurial stories. But I do want to talk about a few of the core pillars that you mention on your website as part of your story and your history. It certainly starts with people. So I want to start there. One of the things that I saw is your company mantra to treat everyone right. 
And also, I think you've been on some other podcasts where you talk about your people and, and recruiting is so important, especially now in this market where everyone is finding it challenging to find workers. So yeah. I thought if we could just chat a bit about your culture, yeah. what it means at Talent Products, you know, how you bring the fun, because you've talked about you have a fun company, which is, <laughs> which is you don't always hear that about a manufacturing wow. company, but it's a fun manufacturing company. And, and here it is nestled in, in the middle of Ohio. So tell us about that. Tell us about well, your company or culture. Well, we find that we, we hire for our values. And we also find that when we find customers that share our values, it's usually a mutually successful, long-lasting relationship. Our, our core values, now there, there used to be, we've always had values. We went through the mission, vision, values thing 25 years ago, and everybody was always a, kind of a pillar of running a well-run company. But back then, it wasn't real. Values were not really lived. People made them. They went through the exercise. They put the values on the wall. They gave out wallet cards. But I don't think people really bought into the whole concept. There was something the consultants said you had to do to be a well-run company, so people did it. Recently, well, recently, I don't know, it's probably five or 10 years ago, we boiled it down to four core values. And it's a lot easier to remember four values than 13. And it's also, when we looked at the 13 values, a lot of them were redundant and, and they were kind of understood. You don't have to put it profitability as a value. If you're not profitable, you don't exist. The company will cease to exist. So that, that was kind of an understood. But we started with safety because in a metal stamping plant, we have big presses, 30,000 pound coils of steel. Accidents can be catastrophic. So you, you, you really have to put safety above everything, above you know, productivity and above profitability. It's, I mean, to be a good company, to be a good person, <laughs> to sleep at night, you, know, yeah, yeah, you want to put safety number one. But then, then I look at the next three is really the values that are not negotiable, but these are the values that we chose. We feel like safety was understood as number one. But number two is really the one that I could almost call my number one value, and that's collaboration. Collaboration works a lot of ways. It doesn't just work with the customer. I mean, in the sales department, all they think about is the customer collaborating with the customer and being a partner. We, were, we like to say we were partnering before partnering was cool. We, we started the company with that, with that mantra, with, that, with that, that axiom. We wanted to have large customers that we were a very significant supplier to, that we were valued so much that they, would, they, they looked at us as part of the team. We were integral to their operation. So say uh, collaboration and also go collaboration goes to the supplier because, you know, we're the customer in that relationship. So we wanted to be our suppliers to be the kind of supplier that works together with us as a, as a team member. So the employees and the customers and, and the and talent, I, I think of that as like three legs of a stool of the stool of business, you know. Tenacity is the third one. Tenacity kind of speaks for itself. That, that means we get it done. I and mean, if we cho chose, if we, if we fell into a really hard opportunity that was really difficult and uh, instead of just quitting, you know, you just keep trying, just keep plugging away, just, you know, get it done. We had, we had a very difficult job once many years ago, and we just kept working on it, working on it, working on it. But the customer even came up to us and said, don't you guys ever quit? I mean, aren't you going to eventually just say we can't, this, this is not formable, we can't make the metal do what we're trying to do? I said, no, no, I think we're going to get it. And we did. Eventually, we got it. You know? So tenacity is a good, a good trait to have in your workers, you know. And also it works like when you're trying to go after a really big plum customer, having tenacity can get you over the finish line. The last one is interesting. It's respect. Respect means different things to different people. So when we, when we lay out our values, we have the behaviors that support those values also spelled out. Respect means something different to a young urban guy than it does to an older guy, like say he lives in the country. You know, they're just different cultures. So what it basically means is don't be a jerk. 
it's kind of like the, the golden rule, treat, treat others like you want to be treated. That, and we have other ways to say that, but that's yeah. <laughs> other ways that are more crass, you know, but that, that's it. Just be, you know, be, treat people uh, with respect and then, and, you know, and expect respect from your others. You know? Thank you for sharing those. How did your core values help you help the company throughout the pandemic? Well, the safety was interesting. You know, I mean, this is clearly an aspect of safety. Our team really rose to the occasion. I mean, I personally don't take credit for this. I, I take credit for being the leader of the company. But they took the ball and ran with it. We had meetings every couple of days. Matter of fact, in the beginning, it was probably every day. I mean, we, we were constantly meeting. Because if you, if you recall, the, the environment was so dynamic and changing so quickly. And the, uh, the recommendations and the guidelines which, and the laws, where everything was changing so quickly. And so uh, we, were, we took a belt and suspenders approach. I, matter of fact, I say sometimes we took a belt and suspenders and another belt. You know, we, 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 were, we were kind of, because it was, it was part of our safety culture. So, and it still is. We still talk about it. I just came from a leadership meeting where COVID is still an item on our agenda. But it paid off. We never had an outbreak. We never had, we had, we had, we had colleagues that got sick. We had, we had even had somebody that passed away. But we we'd never had an outbreak where, when we did the contact tracing, that there was a department that got sick and, and everybody that, you know, we did the distancing and put up partitions and we cleanliness, you know, we were cleaning up all the surfaces and uh, all, just everything. I don't remember all the protocols we did, but it was very comprehensive. I mean, if there was a, there was a suggestion, we did it and, and it worked. It worked. Were you deemed an essential business? Yes, we were essential right from the very beginning. Okay. We make part, a lot of parts for, for the solar industry. Okay. which was another another one that was a disruptive one that we got into a long time ago when it was the Wild West. You know, we called it the solar coaster because it was just the <laughs> wild days back then. You know, we grew up with the industry and uh, we're in all three facets of it, the uh, residential, commercial, and utility scale. And what was I saying about solar? <laughs> no, that's okay. It's part of innovation. I'm actually going to jump to that in a little bit. Let's come back to talent for a second. Question for you about where we are now with this labor market. It's a pretty tight labor market. How challenging is it to find workers now compared to pre-pandemic? It's challenging. You know, I like to say, I don't say we're a fun company. I like to say we're a cool company because fun has a different connotation. I wish I wish we were more fun. It is fun. I mean, it's fun to succeed and, you know, nothing succeeds like success. So everybody wants to be with a winner. So, you know, we, we do a pretty good job of recruiting. Matter of fact, um, you know, I'm, I'm the CEO, so I'm, I'm not real active in the, the, the granular running of the company. You know, I'm kind of the, the visionary and the, the overseer and the strat, chief strategist and that kind of stuff. But recently I got on a, on a task force for recruiting and retention because these are so important, you know, and uh, especially now with the, the current labor climate. Um, and so it's, and, and you know, and I, I like marketing and basically it's a different, it's a different aspect of marketing. You know, we've been marketing the company. So now I'm selling it, but, you know, sell, selling our services, but now I'm marketing the company as an, as an employer. And so it's, it's it was a, a different aspect, different side of the same coin, you know? Absolutely. And so it's been, it's been, it's been interesting and we're doing okay. You know, we've got, we've got, you know, we're still looking for people, we're, but we're also, we're growing like a weed. So if we're, if we're growing fat quickly, we're always looking for people. And uh, we get a lot of press. We win a lot of awards. We always are being profiled and whatnot. So, so that helps draw people, draw attention to us also. I mean, it's not just because I suffer from a poor self-image. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but, no. uh, 
But that does all help because it does help raise the profile of the company. But I'm curious about this committee. Have you come up with any specific strategies that you're trying social out? Media, social media. We're, we're, we're leaning into social media more. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's everything. That's where everything comes from now. I mean, there's no print media anymore. Yeah. I mean, and then we're trying to do some unique things. Like we're talking about barber shops, you know, in certain urban culture, barber shop is a nexus where everybody, everybody goes and they chat all day. It's a nice place to uh, get the word out that, hey, by the way, we're looking for plate for people and we're a good place to work. We offer a lot of career opportunity. We offer a lot of growth opportunity. The guy who runs our factory started as an entry-level guy 20 years ago. He's, he's like one of the top guys in the company now. Uh, so uh, we, we talk, we do outreach. We do uh, uh, community outreach to like uh, Hispanic centers and whatnot. We uh, have a uh, re-entry program working with uh, ex-cons. <laughs> I mean, uh, they have other names for them. I can't recall it right now, but, you know, working with uh, nonviolent offenders and we have, uh, have had some really good success with that. Yeah, we, we try everything. And we're, 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 one of the things we're doing is uh, trying to invent and come up with new other non-traditional methods of getting our name out there and, and uh, getting, uh, you know, just telling our story. Yeah, it's important to try different things, just like in marketing, you got to test and learn. Yeah, uh, you know, we said is if we don't, try different things. If we do the same thing we've always done, we're going to get the same result we've always gotten. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's jump back to innovation. You talked about that as a core pillar and and the industries that you target, you target disruptive industries, which is a really interesting strategy. I had another guest on the show. Her name is Karen Norheim. She's the president of American Crane. And what they talked about in terms of innovation is they set up a a technology group to kind of have an R&D aspect to what they do. And so when you think about innovation, and one of the things on your website I noticed is you said, look beyond yourself to embrace new technologies, which is why I mentioned this other manufacturing company that says, yeah, we're going to do the same thing. How does Talon Products do that? Maybe some examples could you share? 35 years ago, the way that the material was fed into a punch press was like with a couple of different mechanical systems, you know, like uh, air feeds and geared feeds. And there was this new thing called a servo feed, which was really technologically advanced at that time. 35 years ago, they, they, they like didn't exist. We were one of the earliest adopters. We, matter of fact, our, our servo had a three-digit serial number on it, meaning they'd made less than a thousand of them. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it, it was that nowadays, they dominate the industry. That, that, that's standard. I mean, everybody, oh, everything is servo feed. Just, you know, just kind of like the digital revolution. You know, what, what a servo does, it digitizes the movement. And so you can use a computer to control uh, mechanical movement in your, in your press. And uh, now there's presses that are several presses now, uh, not just the accessories that, to feed the stock. But uh, that was an example of a long time ago. Another example of there, there was a kind of part we were making. And uh, my partner at the time was a really innovative guy. And he was look, I figured out a way to make two at once. So this is, this is the kind of part that you would typically make one at a time. He said, I figured out a way. I think we can make two at once. So I just being naive and not, <laughs> not a manufacturer at the time, I said, that's good. But why don't we make three? And he goes, hmm, you know what? Maybe we could. I never thought of it. <laughs> and this is a, it sounds like a stupid, silly way to this example, but it's true. You know, and, and we, and we, but it was trickier. Doing three was a lot trickier than, uh, than making three at a time. It was a lot trickier than making two at a time. And now it just seems natural, you know, I mean, when we, 
a lot, a lot of our processes lend themselves to multiple parts uh, being made at one time. We, we have a lot of presses that make four parts per hit. Every time the press goes up and down, it makes four parts. So there's process innovation. There's innovation in, in the customers that you serve, which means you probably need to do kind of this market scanning, right? And understanding what their needs are, what problems they're trying to solve, which is complex. It's not an easy thing to do. How do you get to know these different industries? Because they're changing so fast. Yeah, well, we, we keep our eye out for innovative, uh, disruptive disruptive um, industries. Um, yeah, single ply was a good example. It was one that just grew from almost nothing 10 or 20 years ago to like a huge industry now. We looked at the wind power industry, you know, uh, renewable. We, we do a lot with renewables. I mean, the LED was they're, they're super energy efficient. Um, we we uh, you know we just try to be cutting edge. Try to be uh, keep your eyes and ears open. A lot, a lot of what we also offer is designed for manufacturability assistance. It might be a mundane existing part, but we look at a way to make it faster, cheaper, less costly, make it stronger. Um, and sometimes parts are over-designed where they, are, they, 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 add, they, they, they designed it so it's perfect, but it doesn't need to be perfect. It only needs to be good enough, you know. And you can, you can uh, make little changes that don't affect the functionality of it, but lower the cost of manufacturing. That, that's kind of, I mean, manufacturing, that's kind of a holy grail. It's make a better part for less money. That's the basic you know, yeah, is that the company's superpower? If we talk about it that way, that it's got high quality production at, at a lower production. I think price. our design for manufacturability assistance is what attracts a lot of our good customers. They, uh, and but not everybody's looking for that. Some customers are looking for that. Some are not. Some customers come to us and they say, "I want you to make what's between the four corners of the blueprint." I mean, we we've already optimized it. We know what we want. And that those, you just have to, but, but there's a lot of younger, smaller uh, startup and even big companies. A lot of times they, they, they are very open to, uh, to suggestions for optimizing. That, that, that's, I wouldn't say it's our, it, it's, it's part of our secret sauce. It's, it's one of our options. Another, another thing we like to do is have early supplier involvement. If we get in, in the beginning of a project, we can, uh, it ends up being more successful for both, you know. I want to come back to your superpower because you're the founder. You've created a very successful company over the last, uh, what is it, almost 40, 40 35, years? 35, 35 years. 35, which is no small feat. So I want to congratulate you and your team Thank for you. that. I want to talk about your superpower because you're a gregarious guy. You make the work environment probably a special place. What do you think that has been some of your keys to your success over the years as a leader? I think, I think being passionate, is, is kind of a big, I'm sure that's a big part of my success. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking about it. I'm, my, my first partner used to call it, we were, he said, we're obsessed, possessed, you know, <laughs> and you can't, you can't succeed in business without being obsessed, possessed. Now you can succeed, but I think somebody somewhere like, you know, the, the visionary, hopefully the leader should, should really be uh, all in, you know I mean? Really? I, I don't think it's, you know, you can't, I don't think you can really, thrive as a company and really have to be a high growth company and be, you know, at the top of your game, unless you're really throwing, you know, giving the airplane all its, all the gas to get off. We used to say when you're taking off an airplane, you have to have full throttle <laughs> and you can't pull back your throttle until you get up the altitude. When you get up the altitude, there's only one way to coast and that's downhill. So you gotta, you know, we always also used to say building that first layer of the pyramid 
man, it takes a long time. Yeah, <laughs> and the second layer is not so bad, but it's still pretty big, you know, so it takes a long time. It's not until many, many years later that you're up near the top of the pyramid. Yeah, and you're in sort of enjoying that now, and it's easier to look back and say things that worked for you. Yeah. One of the things that I'm guessing has worked for you has been your attention to the numbers, even just as we've been talking in prep for this show. You know, I could tell that you are someone who studies the market. You understand your industry very well. You understand where you compare to your peers, and you measure things, right? As a company, it's important, especially when you're measuring things like safety and quality. So I want to talk to you about that, what we call KPIs or, you know, key performance indicators. Another thing I saw on your website, it says, if it doesn't add value for the company, don't do it. So I want to ask you about this. What measures do you track for the business and that you think have really been part of your success over these years? I mean, there's so many, you know, it's funny. uh, We probably have, I mean, just in the sales and marketing department, we have 25 things we measure every every maybe a week, you know? So, I mean, there's so many metrics, but when manufacturing this kind of a mantra that says what gets measured gets improved. I mean, it's not just manufacturing, it's in business. But uh, so, so yeah, we, we, I also have a saying about that. I said, we have a lot of data, but discerning knowledge from the data is hard. I mean, tracking all this data is, is, is only the first step. You have to, understand what it means and uh, con- convert the data into knowledge. You know, that, that's, that's where it gets tricky. Um, you know, on-time delivery, quality, safety, uh, turnover. You know, these, these are the kind of metrics that are kind of basic to manufacturing, uh, all of which we excel at. We, we have, uh, we're in the top. Uh, I mean, we benchmark against the industry, you know, through, through our manufacturing association. So we see the numbers, you know, and, uh, and we're, 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 we're rock stars. I mean, we really do have a, a high-performing company. I what like, about enterprise value? Have you measured what the company is worth, gotten yeah. official valuations or, you know, kind of looked at it? And I think you, you and I sort of met in this M&A, yeah. mergers and acquisitions event that was online. And I had reached out to you afterwards. And so I know you spend time in those circles. Talk yeah, about that. You know, I look at that as kind of the ultimate scorecard. Um. So I, I am always aware of our market value of the company, of the enterprise value of the company, because that's the ultimate scorecard. I mean, uh, not, I'm not selling the company right now, but uh, you know, it, 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 you know we, we want the company to be profitable, which is, of course, one of the main metrics. I mean, people buy companies for future cash flow. I mean, that's a pr- basically the concept. You know, you're buying the cash flow of the company. Um, so it's, but it's not just cash flow that makes a company valuable. You know, it's culture. There's a lot of intangibles. It's the market served. There's so many other intangibles that go into other, other, other components. You know, is the owner necessary? Is the owner, does the owner have to be there? Is he intrinsic to the success of the company? Or does the company run itself and a new, new company, new owner could come in and step right in and, and, and maybe even, and also what, what, what is, what's left? What, what, what's the next big thing that the new guy can do? You know, there's, there's so many aspects of it. Um, but I, I think that's, that's kind of like the ultimate KPI is your, is your network, is your, 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 your enterprise value. Yeah. I mean, for you and the other, there's one other owner, is that correct? Yes. Yes. Your business partner. And so, yeah, by far, it's probably the largest asset you both have. It, it is. Yes. It is. It is. And uh, I mean, here's a good thing about growing older. When I was young, it was, it was 90% of my net worth, you know, but as I get older, 
it becomes less because, you know, we're, we're profitable. We make money every year. And I invest that. I diversify my investments. I have a diversified portfolio, right? And uh, so it's funny. My, my financial advisor, we, we, go, we talk about that, like how much of your net worth is still in talent, you know? That's um, important for diversification. Yeah, yeah a lot of, a lot of business is. owners, this is sort of where they start, which is the financial planning side and understanding what is it that they need for the future when they retire, what that lifestyle they want to have. Do they want to travel? Do they want to buy another company or start another business? And then, that, and then that sense of, well, where is the company today? What's it worth? And then is there a gap? And all those factors that you just talked about, which are the things that help determine, well, what is the value? How does it compare against your peers? And ultimately, value is in the eye of the acquirer, right? It's in the eye of the, of the other buyer. It's also an element of multiples. I mean, now there's the, the, the market for uh, M&A is so frothy. It's white hot. You know, I mean, there's, there's too much money chasing too few of opportunities. It combined with the dem- demographics of the baby boomers, guys my age, I'm, I'm the, I'm the peak of the baby boom bubble going through. I'm the, I'm the rabbit going through the snake's belly dem- <laughs> demographically, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm getting to an age where, you know, you're looking at that stuff. So uh, the, the, uh, the, it's a, it's a, the, the, the multiples of the multiple of EBITDA, which is you know, a, a way to value companies. Um, the multiples are climbing. I mean, for the, the, the funds have so much money that's they have dry powder. They got to, they got to use it or lose it. Uh, there's, 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 uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of demand, it's more demand than supply of companies now. So, so when I, when I use EV as a, as a, as a metric or a KPI, I have to kind of remove that variable because, you know, we don't get credit for companies selling for higher multiples. I mean, that's not something we did. That's what society has provided us. Yeah. So now's a good time to sell for that reason. Well, also, there's a lot of discussion around other alternatives, such, such as ESOPs, for mm-hmm. companies that are large enough to try to garner the tax benefit. So oh, yeah. it is a very interesting time, as you say. There's a lot of dynamics and, and there's a lot of activity. So I want to talk about succession for a second. Do you have a succession plan in place? Whether it's, uh, call it the contingency, you know, more of an emergency, that's different. This is more yeah. kind of long-term, you know. Yeah. We're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> it needs work. All entrepreneurs leave their companies someday. That's right. Some horizontally, some vertically. I, I used to think more like I'll be here till I drop dead on my desk. I probably, I, you know, as that, as that possibility is arriving now as I get older, I, I think maybe I will go for a third life, you know, a third stage in life. You know, the first stage, you're a student. Second stage, you're a producer. Third stage, you're whatever you do, you know. That's right. Society. The Hindus have a fourth stage where you, uh, you're ready to die, you know, and you're, you're preparing for death. But I'm looking at it as three stages. Uh, we don't have, a, well, we're working on our succession plans. Um, it's something I've been working, we, ha- we have a formal succession plan. I mean, it's a, it's a big package. It's pro- like professionally produced and it looks really good. We identify all the people in the company by A, B, C, D. Uh, and then we have, uh, planned and unplanned uh, uh, actions that we'll do, you know, if, if the guy came to an untimely, guy or girl came to an untimely demise, what would we do short-term while we're looking for the permanent replacement? So we do have a plan, but that's not the question. You, you were asking more about selling the company. I think. Oh, not necessarily. No, I, I think succession, it's really important to have a written succession plan in terms of your people 
And you can answer that question however you're, you you yeah. see the answer. I, I think succession, transition, change, having a plan of some sort is better than having no plan. It's great that you've looked at it from the talent plan is really, really important. And I'm yeah, glad and, to hear that you've done that. In my head, I kick around a lot of ideas, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, uh, we're growing and the numbers are getting pretty big. And we're going, you know, we're going to do about 75 million next year. And uh, so there's options to take some money off the table and continue. I mean, it's hard to imagine somebody not wanting me to stay in the company, maybe as a, as a minority partner or smaller. I mean, now I own 65%. So I could still sell a lot and still stay at the company and still have a job and still participate with what they call two bites of the apple. I'm sure you know that expression. Yeah. Well, it's also, as you said, it's about what you want, right? So this exploration for your, as you call it, the third chapter. So you're this adventurer, right? What's next, What's your next adventure look like? And you, know, you want to frame and how you want to spend your time. So it might be putting the feet up on the desk and more of an advisor, you know, type of role as opposed to the day-to-day. It could be, hey, you want to be a unicycler <laughs> and go back to ballooning and more yeah. fun adventure things too. And I, I do all these fun things and I don't want to do them all day, every day, full time. You know, some, like my dad, when he retired, he thought blackjack, bridge, poker, golf, and bowling could fill his time. That would fill his day. He was going to be a professional at all those. He was very good, very accomplished at all those, but it didn't fill his day. And he, he looked, he, I really, I could tell that he was not fulfilled. Um, yeah, I spend a lot of psychic energy uh, thinking about that. Um, I, I'm not a workaholic, even though I'm passionate, driven, you know, and obsessed, possessed about the company. I, I'm not a workaholic. I, I, I'm able to, I've got a great team. The team does all the work, you know. I kind of oversee some of it, and a lot of it, I don't even have to oversee it. Um, yeah, I don't have a good answer for that other than I like my job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I really yeah. do like my job. It's, I, 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 uh, it's not, some people can't wait to retire because they, they, they hate their work. It's digging a ditch. It's like, you know, they just want to get out of the coal mine and go sit in the beach. I get to the beach plenty. <laughs> you know? I, uh, yeah. So I don't have a good answer about, you know, when it's time. Yeah, no, that's okay. I think a lot of people don't. Honestly. I'm reading a lot of books on it. Yeah. Is there a book that you like that you would like? I just, to I, just finished, I just finished a good one called Changing Gear. Okay. And uh, I don't have the. the uh, Changing the, uh, Gear. Gear. Changing Gear. It was yeah. very good. It was very good. Um, That's awesome. And I've had two or three others uh, recommended to me. One, uh, the guy who references a lot of Drucker in it, a lot of Peter Drucker. Drucker. And the um, foreword was by Jim Collins from Good to Great. And I'm sure you're familiar with Jim Collins. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm just always trying to educate myself and trying to, I, it doesn't mean it's imminent, but I'm trying to learn more about this third chapter. Right? And up yeah. till now, it's always been, I'm never going to stop. I'm going to work, you know. <laughs> and you, right. know, I'm, you know guys like that, that, that they, they will work till literally till they drop dead at their desk. I, 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 that, that's not my goal either, you know. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still just starting to articulate my vision. Maybe when you are in your third chapter, we'll have you come back on the show oh, and we'll fun. do, uh, <laughs> we'll reflect on those changes that you, and that path that you ended up taking. Would, so I, I realize fun. now it's too early for that, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, but you know, it's, 
it's good to always be learning, you know, and always be educating yourself. And so I, people might mistake my studying this for me wanting to sell the company <laughs> because you know, why else would you be talking to investment bankers? Well, I want to learn about it. It's going to be the biggest sale of my life someday when I do sell this thing. Absolutely. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it's imminent. It just means I'm trying to educate myself. Yeah, that's super important. That's also, I've had conversations with a number of people who say the same thing, that why wouldn't they study? Why wouldn't they talk to advisors to help get ready and get their, not only the understanding of what creates enterprise value when you're in that mode of building the business, right? But then when you're in that mode that you're in now, which is exploring options and thinking yeah. it through and trying to build, assemble the right team of trusted advisors, it's super important. Very so, much, yeah. Super yeah. important. So last couple of questions for you. I love to ask everyone if they have a favorite quote about entrepreneurship or leadership. And I'm guessing you have something up your sleeve. I have a million of them. But one of them <laughs> is uh, nothing succeeds like success. And mom always said that when we were young, it didn't matter what you do, be the best at it. And, 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 and you can break it down into numerous meanings, but Everybody wants to be with a winner. Everybody wants a winner as a supplier. Everybody wants a winner as their, as their customer. Everybody wants a winner as their, their, their company they work at. Everybody wants to be allied with success. You know, I mean, success is, is uh, contagious, you know. It's Absolutely. like emotions. Emotions are contagious. If you go into a meeting and you're happy and positive and optimistic, you have better outcomes. You know, I mean, people, people react better to positivity than negativity. You go into a meeting and you suck the life out of the room and everything's doom and gloom. You, you, you're going you're gonna, to you have a self-fulfilling prophecy. So uh, nothing succeeds like success. If I had to have one statement, uh, I, I, I've got a million. Of, like, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great one. No, that's a great one. And if people want to connect with you or talk with you one-on-one, what's a good way to find you online? Sales at talentproducts.com comes to me. I mean, it comes to my team. If they want to call, talk to me personally, I think it's just, you know, steplin at talentproducts.com. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. And also maybe on LinkedIn, reaching out? Oh, LinkedIn is a good way. Yeah, that's probably a better way. Yeah. Getting yeah, to you like, directly there. Like okay, perfect. Steve, we covered so much today. Thank you so much for being so authentic and talking about where you are in your journey and sharing um, some of the successes with your business and also thinking about what's next and this next journey for yourself. Thanks, Laurie. It was really fun. I really appreciate the opportunity. My objective is for you to have a lucrative and successful succession. If you want to understand the value of your company today, the potential net proceeds of a transaction and your financial needs after you leave the business, that's a great place to start. The sooner you understand these numbers, the more time you'll have to close the gap if there is one. Take the next step by requesting an initial meeting to begin planning for your business transition and strategic exit today. Request a call with me by visiting smalldotbig.com. That's smalldotbig.com. I look forward to speaking with you.